Welcome to the Food for Your Soul podcast, where we apply the Word of God to the hearts of men and women to stoke the fires of your delight in Christ. Here's your host, Dr. D. Richard Ferguson. Have you ever wondered what the point of intercession is, praying for other people? Why does God want you to pray for someone else? God knows what that person needs better than you do. That person knows what they need better than you do. Why doesn't God just deal with that person directly? If he's praying for his own needs, is God more likely to answer his prayer if you are also asking for it? And if so, why? Let's just look at the command to pray. Pray for one another. Intercede for one another. When God looks down on his church, he wants to see his children praying for each other. So many of the most important things in the universe happen when we do that. Right? Praying for one another blesses the other person, it glorifies God, it, fills, it fulfills the great commandment, uh, and it accomplishes the will of God. And it's, it's a command for every soul in the church, every one of us. Notice the transition from verse uh, uh, 15 to verse 16 with the word therefore. See that? Uh, I want you to pay attention to that therefore. In verse 16, verse 16 here is the conclusion that's drawn from verse 15. And, and that's interesting to me because this here is about the elders, right, praying for the sick. And, and then he says, therefore, and he draws a conclusion that has nothing to do with elders. The elders are not mentioned. The leadership of the church is never mentioned again after here, after verse 14. There's no more mention of elders. When he draws his conclusion, it applies to the whole congregation. He says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. It's just the whole church. You say, well, what, what about, what about, uh, restoring a wandering sheep. Isn't that just for the shepherds? Isn't that for the pastors to go after the lost sheep? Look at look at verse 20. My brothers, if one of you should wander from the truth and someone should bring him back, remember this, whoever turns a sinner from the error of his ways will save him from death. One another, one another, brothers, someone, whoever. This is not talking about the leadership. This is talking about everyone. Everyone, and it's it's therefore this is the conclusion from verses fourteen and fifteen. So so the point of all that is because of what the elders do when they go and lay hands and anoint and all that, the rest of the church needs to follow that lead and do the same thing: pray for one another for healing. You know, the influence of Roman Catholicism has created a mentality for a lot of people in the church especially if you've been influenced by Catholicism, where you have this attitude that, the, that, that you've got clergy over here and laity over here, and they're two totally different categories. And they, they, they see someone that's just sort of an average Joe in the congregation, uh, you know, baptize someone or administer communion or something like that, and it raises their eyebrows. Can he do that? Is he the authority to baptize, to serve communion? Are they allowed to do that? And... It's this, it's, people kind of think that there's almost a quasi Old Testament priesthood or Roman Catholic priesthood situation to where, uh, certain things in the church are just off limits to regular people and only preachers can do it. That is not the picture of leadership that we have in the New Testament. In 1 Peter 2.5, it says that the, the, the church is a holy priesthood. We're all priests. 
We're all priests. Revelation 1.6, he has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. See, in the church, the leaders are not pictured as a separate class with special privileges. Rather, the elders and deacons are simply the pattern laying, they're supposed to be spiritually mature people that, are, that lay down the pattern for everyone else to follow. At Agape, we believe this praying for one another is so important, it's so central, so absolutely central to what the church is that we have set aside an hour for it right here on Sunday morning when we get together. We don't relegate it to another time. It's important, so we want to do it when everyone's here on Sunday morning. So from 9.45 to 10.45, every Sunday, we, we pray. We want this to happen. I mean, we want it to happen all through the week as much as possible as well. But we believe this is so important that we do this on Sunday morning when we're gathered as a church because that, that's such a fundamental part of what church life is. It's what we come to do. Scripture teaches us several key ingredients for our prayers. I mean, uh, there's all different kinds of prayer, right? There's adoration, where you're talking to God about God. There's petition, where you're talking to God about you and your needs. There's confession, where you're talking to God about your sin. There's affirmation, when you talk to your own soul about God. There's thanksgiving and praise, when you talk to God about your delight in, in what he's done. There's all these different kinds of prayer. And then one more, intercession. Where you talk to God about others. And this is a critical part of prayer. That's what James is talking about here. You intercede by stepping in and praying for the needs of people who are in trouble. And that's what James is commanding us to do in this verse. It's not enough for people to ask God to fulfill their needs. You need to ask God to fulfill their needs. This is what God wants. And it's serious. First Samuel 12, 23 says, As for me, far be it from me that I should... Sin against God by failing to pray for you. In Ephesians 6, where Paul teaches us how to put on the armor of God, he concludes that whole section with this. He says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests, and with this in mind be alert, and at all times keep on praying for all the saints. That is all-out prayer. Right? That's a lot of alls. This is, this is the way that God wants to, us to pray for one another. So let's commit to this. Let's, let's, let's be serious about praying for the saints. If, if someone is, if something's keeping you away from prayer group, I just, I just urge you, reread what the New Testament has to say about the one another commands, especially pray for one another. And, and those prayer groups aren't just for praying for one another, they're the other one another's as well. Think that through and think whether some things could be adjusted in your life. I know it's hard. I know if you have a baby, that's nap time. I know if you have, I mean, there's, there's just a lot of difficulties that come along. But sometimes doing the things that are most important in life call for some sacrifices. When I preached this message back at Agape Church, one way to really commit to praying for one another was to participate in the prayer groups on Sunday mornings. Chances are your church doesn't have groups like that on Sunday mornings, but there are other ways you can do this. One suggestion is that in whatever small group you might be a part of at church, a Bible study, fellowship group, ministry team, or whatever, make a commitment to pray for at least a couple people in that group on a regular basis. 
And when you pray, pray for big things. I'll talk more about that next time, but for now, just be aware that when you ask somebody to give you a prayer request, usually they'll what they'll do is give you something superficial. Most Christians, when they're asked for a prayer request, immediately search their mind to think of whatever physical ailment or discomfort they might have. If they can't think of anything, they'll start running through the list of their loved ones. Is anyone they know facing a health problem? If all the relatives are healthy, then they'll think of whether they're traveling somewhere, so you can pray for travel mercies. And if they aren't sick and they're not traveling, then they just try to think of any other temporal problem they might have, a problem at work, a problem with their car, a financial issue, something like that. What you almost never hear is anything about their walk with the Lord. So here's what I do. Instead of asking, how can I pray for you, I'll ask specifically, how can I pray for your walk with the Lord this week? And if they can't think of anything, which they often can't because most Christians aren't really trained to think this way. If there's not a big crisis, they t- just tend to say, well, I've, there's nothing to pray for. So if they can't think of anything, I'll follow up with a question like this. Imagine there were a vending machine that had all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, all those, and every other virtue in Scripture as well, strength and wisdom and zeal, everything. So if you hit, say, the patience button or the self-control button, then you would have far more self-control or patience than normal over the next week. If there were a machine like that, but you only had one quarter, which button would you hit today? Or if you want to simplify it, you could just say, if there were a bowl of the fruit of the Spirit on the table right now, which one would you grab? Usually when I ask it that way, people have no problem at all thinking of something. And then I commit to pray for them every day that week for that thing. And I can tell you, if nothing else, praying this way is far more interesting. A lot of times when you ask how you can pray for the person's walk with the Lord, or you ask which virtue they most desire at that time, they'll open up and tell you something about their heart. You know, when somebody tells you they're going tomorrow to have a procedure on their bunions or whatever, that's not very interesting, and praying about it is honestly boring. But if you tell them the vending machine thing and they they give you this answer like, well, this week, oh, I, I pick hope. I would pick hope. That's the button I would press, and here's why. And they go on to explain something about their heart. That's a lot more interesting and a lot easier to care about when you're praying so you can pray hard. And it's also a great way to build a relationship. If you know somebody that you know has a bum knee and, and they're traveling next Wednesday, well, that's, that's superficial. You don't really know that person. But when you know what's going on inside that person's heart and how their spiritual life is going, well, that's when you really know someone. And if you do this in a group setting, you'll be amazed how this can really make the group close. Why not commit right now to obey the command of James 5 and really pray for one another that we might be restored. Father, you've called us to pray for one another, to intercede. And you've also said that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us and that your Son is able to save completely those who come to you because he always lives to intercede for us. So when you call us to intercede for one another, you're inviting us into the very activity of the Holy Spirit and the Son of God. Thank you, Father, for entrusting such a monumentally important task to me. 
When you told Job's friends that you would not bless them unless Job prayed for them, unless he interceded, it showed how much you favored Job. When you listened to Moses plea on behalf of Israel, it showed your special favor on Moses. And when you determined not to save or bless anyone except in response to the intercession of Jesus, it shows how much you honor him supremely. So what does it mean that you've invited me to be the one of the ones you listen to on behalf of others? The idea that you might withhold some blessing from someone at church until I pray for that person just to show how much you favor me? That's almost inconceivable to me. And yet I know that's the purpose of intercession. For you to show how much you favor the one interceding. Father, forgive me for thinking so little of that great honor. Teach me to use the influence I have with you. Influence I don't deserve to have, but that you've given me nonetheless. Teach me to use that influence to the fullest in bringing blessings into the lives of the people around me. Thank you for listening. If you found today's episode edifying, why not share it with a friend? This season of the Food for Your Soul podcast features excerpts from our sermon series on the book of James. 50 expository sermons covering every verse. You can find those and hundreds of other sermons for free download on drichardferguson.com. And if you like listening on your phone, get our free mobile app. Install the Church One app from the Play Store and select Food for Your Soul. Until next time, rejoice in the Lord always and set your mind on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God.